James, chapter 29, Sunday, September 15th, 1776. I was the only person on the street. The army was gone and the city abandoned. I shivered through the day was still warm. Had I made a mistake? Should I run after the rebels and join them? Should I go back to the Lochtons? A cannon boomed to the north. No, I chose the right course. At least I hoped I had. I headed for the waterfront. Several of the grand mansions of Lower Broadway stood with their doors ajar. A fire burned at the edge of the street, heaped with books and scads of papers. The smoke rose up into the air, drifting toward the masts of the few ships at anchor. Cannons boomed again. What if they didn't arrive right away? How long did I have before Madame grew suspicious? A gust of wind blew and carried with it the first hint of fall. Canoe-shaped chestnut leaves turned yellow round the edges. <clears throat> the leaves caught and piled up against the soldiers' tents left behind at the battery campground. I walked over and pulled back the flap of a tent. Inside lay two bedrolls, a pipe and tobacco pouch, and a shirt dropped in the middle of mending, the needle still threaded and stuck in the fabric. I closed the flap. They left near everything, tents, blankets, extra clothing, cook pots, and food. It would be a cold night for Curson and his companions. Voices came from the waterfront, military voices shouting orders. I hurried away from the barracks, dashed down Water Street, and hid behind a rain barrel at the corner of the joiner's workshop. A half dozen flat-bottomed boats were being rowed to the docks. Two were already tied up, and tall soldiers wearing the red uniform of King George were striding down the street. Lobsterbacks, folks called them. They fanned out across the waterfront. <clears throat> Their muskets primed and held at the ready position. As I watched, a third boat floated to the wharf. The soldiers on it jumped out and marched in formation to the battery in search of rebel soldiers. A woman carrying a baby fled, screaming loudly. A few of the redcoats chuckled and stabbed at the air with their bayonets. My throat went dry. As the fourth boat landed, an officer stepped off and barked a command at the laughing men. They lined up and stood at attention. The officer gave another command and the men marched off, splitting into three groups to investigate the battery and waterfront buildings. The officer stood alone at the foot of the dock, surveying the deserted town as more boats splashed towards the landing spot. This was my chance. I forced myself out of my hiding place and walked toward him, my back ramrod straight. Begging your pardon, sir, I said boldly. What is it, girl? he asked. Before I could answer, a soldier dashed up to him. Captain Campbell, sir, the campground appears deserted. The rebels left behind their tents and bedrolls. Secure the tent flaps. Open and check everyone, the captain commanded. It could be a trap. Yes, sir, came the crisp reply before the man ran off. I prayed I would not faint from fear and tried again for the captain's attention. I can cook, sir, I said. I can wash, sew, even doctor the sick a little. Don't bother me, child. I trailed after him as he walked toward the campground. Please, sir, I insisted. 
I'm all kinds of useful. I can chop wood and carry water or messages. I was interrupted by another soldier who approached us and saluted. Report, Captain Campbell said. The spies were correct, sir. The rebels have retreated. The battery is empty of men, but filled with provisions and weapons they left behind, including several cannons. They even left a tea kettle bubbling over the fire. Civilians in the first three streets north of here are all attest to their haste. Putnam's unit was the last one out. They're on their way up the island, by way of the Greenwich Road. Do we pursue, sir? The captain fought the smile that played at the corner of his lips. Our task is to occupy the city. We'll let the Highlanders hunt them down. Tell the men to take over the barracks and prepare Washington's headquarters for Major General Robertson. Yes, sir. The soldier saluted again, but did not move. What is it now, Jennings? asked the captain. Begging pardon, sir. But I have not been informed as to the whereabouts of Washington's headquarters. If I was to be given that information, I could pursue my obligations with greater speed. I don't know where it is, Captain Cap Campbell said with irritation. Use your noggin, man. Ask the tavern keeper. You want the Kennedy Mansion, sir, I said, just beyond the end of Battery, facing the Bowling Green. What did you say? The captain fired at me. My knees were shaking under my skirt. The Kennedy Mansion, sir, that was General Washington's main headquarters. Number one, Broadway. His wife stayed up at the Mortier House, but he kept headquarters straight that away. I pointed west. And more army officers were in City Hall. I pointed north, up Broadway Street. Very good, he said. There you have it, Sergeant. Proceed. The sergeant yelled at his unit. As he walked away from us, the waterfront was swash, awash in red now as boat loads of soldiers disembarked. Shouted orders filled the air, along with nervous laughter and the sound of British boots on the cobblestones. A few more boats were on their way in, with the first boats headed back for more. The occupation was well and truly begun. You are correct, young miss, Captain Campbell said to me. You are useful, but we do not want troublemakers in camp. What is the meaning of the mark on your face? I touched the raised scar and decided that honesty was the only course. This stands for insolence, sir. When my mistress sold my little sister, I tried to run away. She is five years old, sir, my sister, not my mistress. He blinked and cleared his throat. Regrettable and understandable. I have a younger sister myself, your mistress. Am I to assume she supports the rebel cause? Uh, no, sir, I answered. Our house is Tory. My master was driven out of town by the patriot leaders. My mistress is much cheered by your arrival. She wants to hire a proper staff so she can entertain again. She'll not miss my services one bit. The words tumbled out before I measured them. The captain's mouth hardened, and I knew I had stepped wrong. He tugged on his sash. I cannot accept your service, child. We only employ slaves run away from rebel owners. I did not hear him right. Pardon me? Gentlemen docking, sir, cried a soldier on the wharf. Captain Campbell turned as the men tossed thick ropes from the dock to the occupants of the next boat. It contained only four soldiers, each manning an oar. The rest of the passengers were men dressed in expensive civilian clothing. 
When they're ashore, escort them into the tavern for a celebration, the captain said loudly. Issue the tavern keeper an office of forage certificate. Warn him, sergeant. He's not to ask the gentleman for payment, unless he wants to spend the night in irons. They are our guests. Yes, sir, came the enthusiastic response. As we had been talking, ordinary city folk had begun to creep out of their houses. Now there was a full crowd gathered. The Tories of New York, who had been awaiting this day for months, years, cheers were heard. In the distance, the arriving soldiers were greeted by townsmen who shocked, sorry, the arriving soldiers were greeted by townsmen who shook their hands and patted them heartily on the back. I recognized a few faces, the reverend and his wife and a few people who had called at the Lockton house. Captain Campbell bent toward me. He spoke quickly and quietly. I do not hold with slavery, but I cannot help you. We do not interfere with the loyalist property. Return to your mistress. A loud huzzah from hundreds of throats came from the battery at the American flag was pulled down. A drummer started beating time, and the Union Jack rose at the top of the flagpole, accompanied by whistlers and shouts from the lobsterbacks and loyalists of New York, who took off their hats in respect. A woman in the crowd snatched the American flag out of the hands of the British soldiers and stomped it under their boots. The men laughed. The rat-tat-tatting of the drumsticks rattled through me, setting my teeth to shaking and waking the bees who had lately gone to sleep in my brain pan. He couldn't take me. He would not. I was chained between two nations. The bees swarmed again behind my eyes, making the scene grow dim and distant. The sun was nearing the horizon, casting long shadows across the wharf. I was a ghost tied to the ground, not a living soul. All ashore, sir, called the soldier, tying up his last boat. All ashore, corporal, captain acknowledged. I want patrols assembled immediately to keep watch on the streets and sentry fires built on every corner. Yes, sir, the gentleman who had arrived on the boat walked toward us, talking with great excitement. One of them was painfully familiar. He called to me before I could flee. Sal, called Master Elu Lockton, thinner from his exile, eyes bloodshot and wary. Is that you? I dropped into curtsy and dared not say a word. He studied on me with suspicion. What are you doing here? Sergeant Jennings approached. The tavern is open if, G if the gentleman would care to drink to victory. Lockton waved to his companions. I shall join you shortly. As the gentleman hurried to the tavern, his eyes traveled from my head down to my shoes and back. What news, sir? he asked. How do you come to be here? I pulled Madame's list from my pocket and prayed he would not look inside my basket. Come to market, sir, I whispered. Ah, what is this? He took my chin in his fingers, turning it so that the last rays of the sunset fell on my scar. Is the eye for illustrious or perhaps impertinent? My face burned both in the scar and where his lavender-smelling fingers pinched my skin. The bees flew through me and told me to grab Campbell's sword and run it through Lockton's belly. And then what? And then what? 
I suspect it stands for insolence, Captain Campbell said calmly. "'Tis a common brand among the people of Boston. Lockton laughed at the small joke and released me. "'Now we'll call her insolent Sal, a very saucy gal.' The captain smiled and put his hand on the hilt of his sword. "'I should have known she was attached to your household, sir. She greeted me in the name of the king and thanked me for rescuing the city from the rebels.' They both looked at me. We prayed for liberation, I said. Even our slaves have become political, Lockton said. How quaint. Do you wish to accompany your servant home to greet your mistress? The captain asked. Lockton shook his head. Not at the moment. Go on home, Sal. Tell Anne I shall be along after I've lifted a few glasses in celebration. The two men headed for the tavern as the sun finally dropped out of sight. I must have gone to Mason's and bought the items on Aunt Madam's list, though I remember it not. My body moved through the streets, past sentry fires and redcoats, carrying torches down suspicious alleys and into abandoned houses. Around me was the sound of the victors celebrating and the smell of meat they roasted for their supper. Around me, all was darkness. And that's the end of chapter 29.